So we had heard from prophets, we had heard from sacred writings, but now God himself would enter into the world and it changed everything. And what's interesting, when you look at the Gospel of John, where it's placed, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God had given those first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to the Jewish world primarily to talk about the kingdom that Jesus Christ was coming to establish on this earth. And so Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews. Mark presents Jesus Christ as the suffering servant. Luke presents Jesus Christ as the perfect man. Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. Mark was written to a Roman audience. Luke was written to a Greek audience. And in each of these, you have a certain type of a gene genealogy. In Matthew, because he's the king of the Jews, they take his genealogy back to Abraham. In Mark, he's the suffering servant, so who cares about the genealogy of a servant? There isn't one. In Luke, he's the perfect man, so his genealogy goes back to Adam, the first man. And all of that is structured so that we can get more and more information about who Jesus Christ is and what His plan for the world is. But you see, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as He's walking the earth, He begins establishing His church with His disciples. But you can't have a church without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't have a church without the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so Jesus Christ came and He lived and He died on the cross and He was buried. And then three days later, He rose from the dead... And then he was with his men for a period of time and teaching them. But then he ascended into heaven. And he said, it's expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away, the Holy Spirit will not come unto you. But if I go away, he will come unto you. And so Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He spent time with his disciples. And then he ascended to the right hand of God where he is right now. And then God started dealing with the world in a completely different way. He started dealing with the world through an organization called the church. And what is a church? It's a called out assembly of born again, baptized believers meeting in a specific location for the purpose of preaching the gospel, carrying out the great commission, teaching men to do all things whatsoever the Lord commanded, observing and defending the ordinances. That's what a New Testament church is. And God decided to work and to spread his message through the world through this organization called the New Testament church. But that church needed some information. And so God gave those Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then he gave the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the history of the founding of the church. And then God gave instruction to the churches by what are called the church epistles. Those are letters to churches by the Apostle Paul. And so now the church has all of this information about its history and how to function. But there was more to be said. And so God gave the books of books like Hebrews and James and, and 1 and 2 Peter. But there was a disciple that is called the disciple that Jesus loved. A disciple that Jesus had a very special relationship with. And it's very interesting that the last message that God wanted to give to us, He gave through the beloved disciple, that disciple John. And so after the Apostle Paul had written, after Luke had written his gospel and he had written the, the, gospel, the, the book of Acts, after all of that information had come, God came and gave us, through the disciple John, another account. But it's a very special account, the Gospel of John. Through the Gospel of John, we have the most profound information. 
And it's interesting, he used a really small vocabulary. Only 600 words in the vocabulary of the Gospel of John. Do you know what that is? That's the vocabulary of a seven-year-old. And so God used the most simple language to reveal the most profound truths in the history of the world. That's the great God that we have. You know, you put the good stuff on the bottom shelf. You know, the jelly where you can get to that. I don't care where the persimmons are. I want the jelly down here where I can reach it. And as you know, I am vertically challenged. So we need the stuff on the bottom shelf. And so what God did was He gave the greatest information in the simplest vocabulary, the greatest truth in the simplest words. That's what we have in the Gospel of John. So look at John chapter 1 and look at what it says. Oh, and i got to say this. It's interesting to me. I believe that John, as he's writing the Gospel of John, that the Holy Spirit, as he's giving God, or as he's giving John these words, is pointing John's mind back to Genesis. So keep your place in John 1 and look at Genesis 1. Genesis 1, look at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And look at the condition of reality when God did this. And the earth was without form and void. It's just chaos. It's without form and void. It's like in these teenagers' minds right now. Chaos, without form and void. And not only was it a place of chaos and disorder, that really is a teenager's mind, isn't it? Chaos and disorder. Is that right? See, look, they're agreeing. That chaos, disorder, that word void, emptiness, the emptiness of space. The Bible says, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So think about this. Chaos, disorder, and darkness. But then the Spirit of God moved. And look at what it says. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, can you read that out loud with me? Let there be light. Go to John chapter 1. And you'll see, I think that God had John's mind directed to Genesis 1 when He gave us John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in what? Darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. No, this isn't John the Baptist. I'm sorry, this isn't John the disciple. This is John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might what? Believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So this is Jesus. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. Isn't it amazing that the creator of the world stepped into the world and the world wouldn't acknowledge its creator? Such an amazing truth to me. 
Verse 11, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that what? Believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So it's interesting that in Genesis, God made time. In John 1, God made time count. Everything changed. In Genesis 1, God created the process. In John 1, God gave meaning to the process. The Creator entered into His creation. In, John, in Genesis 1, God instituted His plan. And in John 1, God unveiled His plan to the world. They hadn't seen God. The Bible says, no man has seen God at any time. Remember the disciples said to Jesus, show us the Father. And He said, have I been with you so long and still you don't know? If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. So God came into the world and the world could see Him. The world could touch Him. The world could feel Him. As a matter of fact, that's what the Bible says in John 1, in 1 John 1. That which we have seen with our eyes, which we have held with our hands, that's the God that entered into the world. God became a man for us. That's what happened at Christmas. And it's interesting, we talked about how Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews, and Mark presents Him as the suffering servant, and Luke presents Him as the perfect man. And so the genealogy in Matthew takes Him back to Abraham, the father of the Jews, and the genealogy in Mark doesn't exist because no one cares about the genealogy of a servant. And then in Luke, where He's the perfect man, it goes back to Adam, the first man. And in John, the Bible presents Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And there's a genealogy. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That's the genealogy of Jesus. He always was. He always existed. So now, the message to the Jews is your king is here. The message to, to the Romans was... He's a suffering servant. He's not a conqueror. He's coming as a servant for you right now. Then in Luke, he's the to, to, to the Greeks, and you know all the statues of the perfect man, and no, I did not pose for those. I, I did not. All those that's sick, right? All of the all of those images of the perfect man and the philosophy and the, the well-rounded man who has to know things and be things and do things. Well, Jesus Christ is that perfect man. He is that perfect man. But in John, now for the churches, for those of us who understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for those of us who know that salvation is by grace through faith, for those of us who know that you can't work your way to heaven, for those of us who know that you have to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave us this Gospel of John to tell us how it all happened. And so there's information in the Gospel of John that aren't in the other Gospels, that isn't in the other Gospels. Things like the I am statements where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. That I am, that I am immediately told the people that it's talking about God. Remember the burning bush where Moses sees this bush burning and starts talking to him. And that would be weird, right? And they said, who should I say sent me? I am that I am. Not I was, not I will be, that I am. 
And that's what Jesus Christ said about Himself. He's the preexistent, eternal God who came in the flesh. That is what is revealed for us in this Gospel of John. And so here in this passage, I want us to look at some things. There's a cool word that the Bible uses. It's behold. In 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And that's every nursery worker's verse, right? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There is going to come a time... When even the dead, God is going to raise those bodies of those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and they'll be changed. Isn't that awesome? Behold, I show you a mystery. And John said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the word of the world. That word, behold, is an interesting word. It, it means to direct your eyes to an object. And it's used in this manner for exciting attention or admiration. Behold. Behold. So I want us to, this morning, let's behold the Lamb. That's who came. Behold the Lamb. The first thing I want you to see is behold His origin. There are three statements that are made in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the first is the Word was. The Word was. He is an absolute, uncreated being outside the limits of time. So remember what we have discovered. So forever, there's been this question about, did God create the world? And we know that in the 1800s that Charles Darwin came along with his origin of the species. And from that, whether it was before him with Charles Lyell or, or uh, James Hutton, the man who discovered time, he was at a river in Jedborough, Scotland, and he saw the different striations in the bank. And he said, well, that couldn't have happened soon. So he, he posited billions of years. That's where this idea came from, the 1700s. And so all of this develops into this question of how old is the world and could God have created it in six days? Well, then came this conversation of the Big Bang. The Big Bang. Well, I don't know if there was a Big Bang at the beginning, but I know there's going to be a Big Bang at the end. And so there's a discussion about the Big Bang. And it's so interesting that now scientists say that time did have a beginning. That matter did have a beginning. That energy did have a beginning. And it all happened at a point in time. That means, that means that there was a time when there was no time. There was a time when there was no matter. There was a time when there was no energy. So how did it all start? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And He said, let there be light. And boom! Everything came into existence. And I don't know if it banged or not, but I know that there was silence. There was chaos. There was darkness. And God spoke. And I want you to think about something. Even for the scientist, whatever started this thing, it had to be timeless, it had to be spaceless, it had to be immaterial, it had to be powerful, it had to be volitional, so for whatever chose to do this had to do it by an act of the will. And we know who that was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. In the beginning was. Do you know what that means? 
In the beginning was. There was something when everything else began. He is God, the eternal creator. The word was. And then I love this. The word was with. This communicates the eternal relationship of Jesus Christ, the word, with God the Father. Um, I was taking a master's class, and it was on the Gospel of John. And the book we used, the guy's a good guy who wrote it. It's about this thick. It just You'd rather gouge your eyes out with a dull spoon than read this thing. But all the way at the beginning of the book, you have this verse. In the beginning was the Word. Now, the Greek word for word is logos. Logos. And so he goes into a discussion about where did John get this word, logos? Where did John come up with it? How did he choose that word to write the name of Jesus as the word? And he gives eight different reasons or eight, eight different options for where this word logos came from. It's called source criticism. So what was the source of the writer? And so this, is, this book is written by a guy who went to, I think, uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville, a Southern Baptist seminary. He went to, to Dallas Theological Seminary, more of an evangelical seminary. And so the best, the, the highest level of education in modern evangelicalism. Really, and he's a good man. He's a good guy. I think he teaches at Southeastern Baptist Seminary. He's a good guy. Eight options for where John got the word logos. Now, I'm not going to bore you with what those options are, but I'll tell you two that were not included. Number one, it's his name. That wasn't one of the options. In the beginning was the word. That means his name was the word before John 1.1 was written. That was his name. So you're writing a letter. And, and Aaron Hewling is here. And so, dear Aaron, and someone reads it. I wonder where he got that word. It's his name. The other option, okay, two options that were not included. Number one, it was his name. Number two, God told him to write it. You've got to take your brain out and play with it to write theological books like that. You see, he was. He existed. He is the, listen, he is the eternal living word of God. Amen. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. What that's saying is there was an eternal relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal, no beginning, no ending, completely equal and together. Three what's, or one what, three who's. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that concept of God, the Word was with God, that communicates the eternal relationship of the Word of God with the Father. Now, it also expresses the thought of working together and functioning together. And this is something that's hard for us to comprehend. What did God do before the creation of man? And did God need man to complete himself? No. He doesn't need us at all. That's why grace is so amazing. He loves us. He loves us. And then it says, 
the Word was God. And Jesus Christ is God. I was flying on an airplane. I think I was going to Oklahoma City. And I love it when God does this kind of stuff for you. So I'm sitting on the plane, and I look over at the guy next to me, and I see him doing some research, and he's got some theological stuff there. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm teaching a seminar. And he, I said, what on? And he said, well, I'm a, I'm a director for The Way. Not in New Knoxville. And if you all don't know what The Way is, it's a cult. And they don't believe that Jesus is God. If you, if you Google The Way and you go on their website, their first statement is, you know, 12 reasons why Jesus is not God. All right, so I'm not disparaging them. I'm communicating who they are, and he was proud to say that. And I said, that's interesting. Now, you don't believe that Jesus is God, right? And he said, no, no, we don't. And I said, but the Bible says he was God. He said, the Bible never says that he is God. And so I took him to this. And I said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, that's not Jesus. How, how do you talk to somebody like that? Right? What do you, what do you say to them? And then look with me. Keep your place here in John. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. This was so fun. I quoted this passage a minute ago, Hebrews 1.1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his what? His son. What was his son? Thou shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, that was kind of weak. All right? Thou shalt bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So, who's the son of God? Jesus. Jesus. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Who? This is still Jesus, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said He at any time, Thou art my... What's it say? This day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a... What? A son. And again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his ministers, I'm sorry, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But, so he's got the specific tasks for the angels. But unto the son, he saith, thy throne, what's it say? O God is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. I showed him that passage. So wait a minute. The Son is Jesus, and God the Father calls him God. Not a God. God. Not a lesser God. God. Is that what the text says? Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That is God. Amen. See, no one else can sit in the throne of God but God. Thy throne, O God, the Father said to the Son. So I showed that to him and I explained that to him. And he starts going like this. I've never seen that before. I wonder why they hid it from him. You see, he's God. The Word 
was with God and the Word was God. That idea of him being with God and being God means that they shared something that only each other could give them. You know, I think of my friend Lawrence Vance. And if if he hears, if he listens to this, he, he might be embarrassed. But Lawrence Vance is probably one of the most brilliant people in the world. Literally one of the most brilliant people on the planet. Um, Some of you might be like that, but you've not shown that to me yet. Um, He's one of the most brilliant people on the planet. And so it's the first time I talked to him, I went, uh, not the first time I talked to him, but a time that I went to, the first time I went to his house. I'm doing research on the history of the Bible and things like that. So he showed me a couple of, four documents, I think, and he said, do you know what these are? And I had a pretty good idea of what two of them were. Two of them I didn't. Two of them had a pretty good idea. But I didn't want to make a mistake, so I said, yeah, I'm not sure. He said, then you don't know anything about the history of the Bible. Ouch. But he's just, he, he wrote this book, The Other Side of Calvinism, that has 300 pages of footnotes and, and bibliography. I mean, it's crazy. And he wrote it when he was 24. It's surpassing intellect. Can you imagine how lonely that is? How many of you have ever talked to someone and you felt like they're dumb? And you you enjoy them and you try to be kind, but you can't really have a conversation with them. Ladies, how many of you married that person? I'm kidding. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm... Seriously, you know what I'm talking about? You, You enjoy being around them, but all they can talk about is football. You know, that's as far as it goes. You're not going to get any deeper than that. Imagine everyone you know is like that to you. That'd be a very lonely place to be. I'm glad I'm not smart. See, then I can just relate to everybody. I can't imagine what that's like. Now be God. Who are you going to interact with that can give you a fulfilling conversation? Do you know who God the Father can do that with? The Word. Isn't that amazing? And that's the God that condescended condescended and said, I want to know you. You see, those of you who are trying to be too spiritual in church to say that, yes, you've talked to someone that you thought was too dumb to give you a stimulating conversation. Do you know that God never feels that way? He loves us. He wants to know us. He wants to communicate with us. Think of what the Bible says there in in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. That's who came. But do you know what Hebrews is talking about? It's the next verse there in Philippians. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that he's Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Behold his origin. But not only that, behold his operation. And I'll go quickly here. Look at verse 3. What does he do? All things were made by him. So literally everything became. God stepped out on the edge of nothing and spoke everything into existence. Everything came from him. That's back in John 1 and verse 3. All things were made by him. It's an interesting contrast between the word, look at verse 1, in the beginning was. Do you see that? In the beginning was. And then verse 3, all things were made. There's a difference. Things became as opposed to what was. The emergence into existence of created things. He was the agent of creation. And it's hard for us to comprehend all the implications of that statement, the fact that He created everything that is. Jesus is the creator of all things. Do you know what that means? This means you. He created you. What, what is it? Is it Proverbs that says, remember the creator in the days of your youth? Your creator. He created you for a person, for a purpose. You know, that's different than the shoemaker or whatever that made Pinocchio. Right? Follow your heart. It's different. God created you for a purpose. He gave you abilities. He gave you capacities. How many of you are glad your nose doesn't grow when you lie? That commercial where Pinocchio's the motivational speaker. Have you seen that? You have talent. You have... And his nose is growing because he knows they're losers. <laughs> not you guys are not losers. That's them. Just, you just happen to be sitting there. It's amazing. But then look at the conflict. Look at, look at verse... So what he was doing, he created a conflict in the world. And look at what it says in verse 5. And the light shineth in... What's that word? Darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. So when God created the world, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. There was just darkness. That's all there was, and God said, let there be light. Here, not only God said, let there be light, but the light actually became a man and came. It's amazing, that conflict. Behold the Lamb. Then look at this. Behold His offer. What did He offer us? His operation was He's the Creator. His origin, He was in the beginning. Verse 9, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He makes an offer. It's an offer of light and life. But that offer can be rejected. Verse 10, He was in the world and the world was made by Him and the world knew Him not. He came into His own and His own received Him not. Have you ever noticed somebody that couldn't acknowledge something good? Right? You, you remodel your house and it looks beautiful and somebody walks in and says... Hmm. Hmm. My brother-in-law showed somebody the Rocky Mountains once. And they weren't impressed. I like flatland better. Now, you can, you can appreciate someone who would enjoy flatland, right? I, that, that's fine. But when you look at the grandeur of the Rocky Mountains, you just, it's just amazing. It's breathtaking. You wonder what kind of a small person couldn't acknowledge something like that. How small are the people that looked at Jesus and said, eh, I like sinners better. Give me Barabbas. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That the Creator can offer us life and eternal life and people can look at that and say, I don't want you. His offer. His offer 
is eternity. And look at who that offer was for. Verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. Look at verse 16. And of His fullness have we... What's that word? All received. The Bible in the book of Titus says, For the grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared from heaven to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should be righteously, soberly, we should live righteously, soberly, and justly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Christ Jesus, who died, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. The grace of God hath appeared from heaven to all men, See, this offer is not made to just to a select few. The offer is for everyone. You know what that means? That means it's for you. It means it's for me. Man, I don't deserve it at all. I'm so thankful that that offer is for everyone. And that offer is an offer of eternal life. Look over at John 3. You might know this verse. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world. Who did He love? The world. That He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, I mentioned that John was written for our time. It was written for us. And I think the word believe appears something like 99 times or 90 times in the Gospel of John. What are you supposed to do with Jesus? Believe in Him. Believe in Him. Believe in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. See, He came and He promised us, He, he offered us light. He came and He offered us life. But that light and life that He offered is eternal. It lives on after we die. What a wonderful promise that is. His offer. It's an offer of eternity. It's an offer for everyone. But the offer can be refused. Look at verse 11. We're back in John 1. Look at verse 11. He came unto His own, and His own received Him. What's it say? Not. Isn't that sad? Those are those people that can't appreciate the Rocky Mountains. They can't appreciate beauty. What a sad thing. You know, Satan hates beauty. Satan hates God's order. Satan hates everything that's good. And he's making this world that same way to where we have to tear down and destroy anything that's lovely. But you know what the Bible says about Jesus Christ? He's the altogether lovely one. The Bible also says he hid that glory. Isaiah 53 says that when we see him, there's no beauty or comeliness that we should desire Him. Isn't that amazing that He was willing to do that? Before He died, John chapter 17, He said, Now, O Father, restore to me the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. That's the God that came. That's the one who's making us the offer of eternal life. And that's the offer that can be accepted or rejected. So how do we become sons of God? By believing in Him. By asking Him to save us. You see, if you think that you can help God pay for your sins, do you remember what it said in Hebrews? We looked at it. Who being the brightness of His glory. That's, his, that's the light. 
and the express image of His person. Show us the Father. Have I been with you so long and still you don't know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. What's it say? When He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He pays for our sin by Himself. It's like trying to pay for a meal with your grandfather. Right? It's not going to happen. Put your money away. Put your money away. Do you know what God says when it comes to salvation? Put your righteousness away. It's not good here. It's not good here. How do you become a son of God? Believe in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. Acknowledge who He is. And He is the Son of God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one who is God, who was God, and who always will be God. Here, Hebrews says this, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that forever He is our Savior. That's who came at Christmas. Can I say this? Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Let's all stand together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we need You desperately.